Thank you, Mariah, for that special. Take your Bibles and turn with me in our time of the Word of God to the Gospel of Luke. Gospel of Luke, chapter number 11. We took a break in the month of December on our Sunday morning study through the Gospel of Luke. We were kind of in the middle of a sub-series, and oftentimes when you teach through the Scriptures and the books, you all find that there are sub-series, subsets that you could really just stop and spend a great deal of time on. I know many who have spent a lot of time on the Lord's Prayer and the topic of prayer. And a lot of messages and time that we could take. And my intention necessarily at first was, was to go through the Lord's Prayer uh, fairly quickly. I had gone through it in Matthew chapter 6 in a previous series study. Uh, but uh, the Lord had us just slow down just a little bit, which means it takes us, you know, 10 more years to get through the Gospel of Luke. But um, I'm, I'm willing to make the commitment. And if you are too, but... When the Lord Jesus stops to teach prayer, we need to listen when he takes the attention, especially times, things that are familiar to us. There are passages of Scripture that are very familiar to even a non-believer, a non-churchgoer, and this would be one of those passages. Psalm 23 and the Lord's Prayer found in Matthew 6 or in Luke 11. Many people have it memorized. It's on, um, it's on pictures or you can find it probably at Hobby Lobby or even at Walmart and uh, for places that the people are looking for passages that are familiar. And, but it's good for us to stop and rethink through these words that we often know and ask the question, uh, what, do they, what does this mean to me? And have we gone into a, a, um, a way of praying or saying ther- uh, terms in the Scripture just by cliché? This is just so that we, we can say it through so we can, we, we know the Lord's Prayer. We know it by heart. But we want to know, let it sink in into our life. And so in Luke chapter 11, the scripture opens up the chapter and it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When you pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil." Father, I ask that in the moments that we have to open the Scripture, the Holy Spirit would speak to us through this text. The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. You promised us that when we look into the mirror of, of your Word, that we will see ourselves in our sin, and we will also be able to see you and who you are. Would you use the Holy Spirit and the Word of God and my voice in in harmony together to be an encouragement and to teach us in this topic of forgiveness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The disciples had asked him after his time of prayer about prayer. After being reminded of John the Baptist's teaching on prayer and his life of prayer, John the Baptist modeled prayer and Jesus' disciples knew that. They seek for Jesus to teach them. Teach us how to pray. So Jesus sets forth to give them a pattern. This is a focus of prayer. I don't believe Jesus is saying, if you just repeat this word for word, even the Gospels of Luke and Matthew, the words are different, which shows us that it's not word for word that Jesus was trying to get across, but a pattern, a focus. When you pray, focus with these points. First of all, we are dependent children. Our Father. Jesus brings our attention to our relationship with the Father as children. We cannot live without Him. We are dependent upon Him. And if you don't have a relationship with God today, I pray that you would know how to have a relationship so that you can call Him first and foremost, Father. The next thing is we are holy worshipers. 
Not only dependent children, but holy worshipers who aren't in heaven. That's a recognition of where he is. Hallowed be thy name. Here's the command. Make your name holy. We are in need of making his name holy in our lives. That is this prayer focus in in this um, command as we pray and say, Lord, would you help us every day to be holy worshipers of your name, to lift your name up as a reputation and an influence. You see, prayer is worship. Giving is worship. Singing is worship. Listening to music together in in our heart, giving worship as we hear others to give worship, but also prayer is worship. Not just something we tag on at the beginning and at the end, uh, I book ends to the service so that we can go on our way. Prayer is worship to the Lord. And part of this prayer is our focus of that worship. Lord, help us to make your name holy. We are also kingdom seekers, not just dependent children and holy worshipers, but kingdom seekers. Thy kingdom come. We are seeking a future kingdom. We don't live for the here and now because we are a part of a kingdom that is one day coming and Jesus is the king. And in our prayer life, we are to focus our, home, our, our thoughts on a, on a kingdom that is coming to this world. We are to look forward in our future hope to what God is going to bring and keep that ever before us. We are also uh, lost without His will. Not only are we dependent children, our Father, holy worshipers, hallowed be Thy name, kingdom seekers, Thy kingdom come, but we are lost without His will. Thy will be done. You see, it's not about our name. It's not about our kingdom. It's not about our will. The very first portion of this prayer is focused Godward. God, it is about your name. It is about your kingdom. It is about your will. That is first and foremost. That is the first priority in our life. And then we are needy peasants. Give us day by day our daily bread. We cannot live one day without his provision and his supply. You see, this part of the prayer expresses our humble dependence on His grace. We cannot be ungrateful people. We must be grateful people. You see, this prayer attacks our tendency to worry and fret over today and tomorrow. Each day has its own problems. One person stated, no man is strong enough to live two days at a time. Today's bread, Lord, I need it. When tomorrow comes, I'll pray for tomorrow's bread because I'm going to need it tomorrow. This portion of the prayer is reminding us that we must trust in Him day by day for our most basic needs. And when tomorrow comes... We must again open our day trusting in Him that He will provide for us for that day. So this this portion of the prayer attacks our fret, our worry, our fear. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, don't worry about tomorrow. You see, the Lord is the one who, who, who takes care of the sparrow and adorns the fields, the lilies of the fields. How much more your heavenly Father cares for you. Don't worry about tomorrow. And so part of this prayer is a humble dependence on His everyday grace that we need. Another portion of this prayer is a focus that we are debtors forgiving. Not just dependent children or kingdom seekers or holy worshipers or lost without His will or needy peasants, but also debtors forgiving. We have a humble view of ourselves. Once we get a big view of thy name, thy kingdom, and thy will, we feel this small. And that's okay. Because that's where we belong. We need to be constantly reminded that we are in need of forgiveness. We cannot forget where we have come from and how we should relate to those around us. 
Look down at what Luke says in this petition in verse 4. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. Matthew records in Jesus' portion of the Sermon on the Mount, he records this Lord's Prayer. Jesus says this, Matthew records, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So the theme of of this portion of the prayer is that a reminder that God pardons sin and we are in great need of His pardon. And that we should also pardon those around us. Forgive those around us. Not long before she died in 1988, in a moment of surprising candor on television, Margarita... Lesky, one of England's best-known secular humanists, journalists, and novelists, said this on live television, What I envy most about you Christians is your forgiveness. I have nobody to forgive me. She died a month later, an atheist, going into hell without forgiveness. What a sad reality. It's interesting to me that those who deny Christianity and deny God in the true moments of their lives, they realize there is something about the need of forgiveness and the power of forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Even if they won't reach out and ask for it, they know the liberating power of being forgiven. You see, bitterness and unforgiveness is the most divisive sins that plagues the people of God in the church of God today. A few weeks ago, I was at lunch, five guys. I like a good hamburger, American burger with cheese. And as I was in there with, um, I think uh, my wife was there and some of the kids, there was a homeless man. This was December, it was cold outside and... um, He had been coming in. He was in a wheelchair, paralyzed in his legs, and was sitting off in the corner, and he had made a mess all over the floor. Looked like a milkshake had dumped out on the floor. There was trash on the floor. French fries were all over the floor, and he was had a um, the table was a wreck and a mess. Smelled a, a little a little bit over there in that area. But one of the things out of that shocking you know scene coming in. I noticed two things. Number one, everyone was sitting on the other side of the restaurant. So when I came in, I sat maybe a couple, um, a couple uh, booths uh, up, up from where he was sitting. And when I sat down after I made my order, I realized why everyone was over there, not because of the mess, but because of his, because of his foul language. He was angry. And everything that was, it was almost like he was talking to himself. Every other word was a swear word. He was mad at the lady who was trying to clean up the floor. He was mad at the gentleman who probably got his food for him. And he was talking out, out in, in the room and in a, in a loud, carrying a conversation with himself and then yelling at the young lady in, in some racial slurs. And every other word was a curse word. And I, and I got up and I went to the other side where everybody else was because I knew my family was coming. There was a gentleman in behind the counter. He had made such a, a ruckus in the restaurant that he had come over there and sat with him, calmed him down a little bit, and everybody could turn over there. Eventually, as the time, he must have been in there for a little while because eventually the manager had him go out of the restaurant When he went out to the restaurant, people that were coming in, he was obviously asking money, and he was flipping them off as people went back and forth. And I thought in that moment, and I was thinking in this message today, what an angry, bitter man. Now, I know that there's probably a whole big story behind where he is but I, do can, I, I can tell you, he has not found forgiveness. And the way life has maybe attacked him or even how he's responded to life in his directions of what things have happened. You see, an, an unforgiven person is an angry person. And an angry person is a bitter person. 
And a bitter person is a critical person, even to people who are attempting to help them. You know a critical person? You know an angry person? You know a bitter person? They wake up every day mad at the world. And maybe there are some reasons because life has not uh, treated them fairly or maybe they've been in an accident or somehow the circumstances of life have, have not turned out in their favor. And because of that, they lash out. And instead of reaching out to a God who loves them and offers them forgiveness, they reach out to everyone, including God Himself, in anger and bitterness and they let it come out. You know, that can come into the life of a believer too. No matter how much a person may have in life, possessions, money, fame, and talent, if you harbor bitterness and anger in your life and you've not found forgiveness, then you're a miserable person. You could be the most wealthy person in Huntsville and have the best of health. But if you harbor unforgiveness in your life, you're a miserable person. Person. It's interesting that Jesus goes in this prayer from the most basic need of everyday life, bread, to the need of forgiveness. In a short prayer of only a few, few major points, teaching his disciples on prayer and moving on, he, he hits bread and forgiveness. John Stott says this, forgiveness is as indispensable to life and the health of the soul as food is to the body. Jesus points this out. We are so concerned with our physical health. It's New Year, your New Year's resolution. Hopefully you're going to make some better healthy choices this year. Maybe some of you are on a diet. Maybe some of you are being more careful with sweets. Maybe some of you have stuck the ice cream in the trash can and you're not going to it. Maybe some of you have hit the gym a little bit more. Maybe some of you have done, um, you know, maybe a few, a few more turns around the living room or trips to the bathroom, whatever the case may be, to try and help you have some better healthy patterns in your body and with your life. But can I, can I ask you and remind you at the beginning of this year, are you going to establish some healthy patterns in your spiritual life? If you're going to do that, then you're going to need to learn to forgive. And you're going to need to learn what it means to be forgiven. To be forgiven. I want to ask you this morning two questions. Number one, are you forgiven today? And number two, are you forgiving today? Are you forgiven today? Jesus says this, forgive us our sins. Matthew records, forgive us of our debts. He uses the word later in Matthew verse 14 of after he ends the prayer, he uses the word forgive us of our trespasses. The word trespass in Matthew has been translated several different ways, shortcomings, sins, resentments, wrongs we have committed or offenses. You see, a trespass in Matthew 6 is connected with debt. These two words that Jesus used synonymously right there in that prayer to help us understand. You know what debt is, right? 73% of Americans die in debt. The average debt of a person is $92,000 dollars. The average household debt is $103,000. The average credit card debt for the American is $8,000. The average mortgage debt is $250,000. The average household auto debt is $60,000. The average student loan debt is $50,000. We are familiar in America with debt. I don't think we take the seriousness of debt... But debt is something you incur. The word means to owe something. Luke here uses the word not debt, but he uses the word sin. There are several words in the Greek language for sin. The one he uses here is the most common word, uh, armatia, which means to be short or to come to miss the mark. To be guilty of failing to reach the goal. Debt. Another close Greek word in sin is the one used in Matthew 14, trespasses. It means a moral failing, a moral uh, crossing of a line that you've come short of. 
And sin in this prayer, whether in Matthew or in this passage here, because even when Jesus says, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. So he still, in this passage, connects sin with debt. We incur our sin against ourselves. We deserve the punishment because we are sinners. Our sin leaves us guilty and owing a debt, a penalty. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. That is the penalty of our debt, our trespass, our sin. Our sin leaves us guilty and owing a debt, a penalty. Every time we sin, we are revealing our evil and sinful heart. And we are born into this world in debt. We are born into sin. And the longer we live, we more and more incur sin upon us because of our acts of our heart. We are building our debt of sin against ourselves. One little boy said of this verse, Forgive us of our trash baskets as we forgive those who put trash in our baskets. You know, you may have gotten the words wrong, but I think... In some ways, just in a practical aspect, sin is trash. And every time we sin, we are putting trash into our basket that's filled with trash. Some of us put money in our credit card accounts to pay back our debts. Some people put trash into their account. You see, it's never enough. It gets deeper and deeper and you get farther in a hole When we say forgive us of our sins, we are actually acknowledging and admitting that we are in debt. We are in a hole. We are guilty. To God and to the world, we are debtors and we've fallen short of God's glory. You know the problem in our world today is many people don't see themselves as debtors. They don't see themselves as sinners. Americans see themselves as self-sufficient, self-righteous. And that's no different than what Jesus faced in the, the Jewish realm with the Pharisees who saw themselves as whole in need of no physician. Jesus came into this world seeking to save that which are lost. See, we think that Johnny is a good boy. And the only thing wrong with Johnny is his environment. The only thing wrong with Johnny is he's got bad teachers. His school system isn't as good as someone else's. His neighborhood doesn't have enough money in, in it that, that, and, and parks and, and sidewalks. His lack of money, his lack of education, his lack of opportunity, his lack of government-controlled programs. You see, Johnny would be a better person if it wasn't for his good-for-nothing parents. That's the mentality in our world today. And I understand that there are influences that can, that can encourage sin in our heart. But listen, our problem is not the government. Our problem is not the schools. Our problem is not the neighborhood. Our problem is that we are in debt in our sin, in our heart. You see, you have to go to the depths of the prison system to find people who are willing to admit they're sinners. You have to go to the poorhouses in the streets to find people who acknowledge that they're in need. Many people think that they're innocent. That's why they don't feel they need forgiveness by God. They can do it themselves. This prayer is pointless to many because they don't see the need to even acknowledge they're a sinner. One person said this, self-righteousness is the easiest sin to commit and the hardest sin to detect in ourselves. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is nothing more filthy and dirty than, than a human or, or a person who is so filled with, with their sin. And the scripture talks about all of our righteousness and all of our, is just like filthy rags before God. It's short. So what is the answer to our sin? We need to call out to the Lord and plead with God for forgiveness. Remember the rich man in the temple who said, Lord, I am glad I'm not like this poor beggar. And the beggar prayed and said, Lord, 
I need you to show mercy on me and forgive me a sinner. You see, stop seeing yourself as, perfect, as the perfect one and start seeing yourself in need of God's forgiveness. And if you're here today and you're an unbeliever, this message is for you. This first portion of the message is for you. You need forgiveness. Are you forgiven? And to be forgiven, you must admit that you are a sinner in debt in a hole that you can't get out. No matter how much good works that you perform and you do, no matter how much money you put in the offering plate, no matter how many times you come to church, no matter how many times you're baptized or that, or that you take communion or anything like that, none of that is going to earn your forgiveness because you can't earn it. It only comes in Jesus Christ because you owe a debt that you cannot pay. But Jesus died on the cross to pay for our penalty and it is by His blood that He pardons your debt. He died for you. Are you forgiven? There's a song that we sing. I know a fount where sin is washed away. I know a place where night is turned to day. Burdens are lifted. Blind eyes made to see. There's a wonder working power in the blood of Calvary. Do you know the forgiveness of Calvary's cross? Last week, we took communion in the Lord Jesus Christ. We were reminded that His body was broken for us. His blood was shed for us. Why? For the remission of sins. For the forgiveness of sins. See, there is forgiveness in the blood of Jesus Christ. We need to realize that if you don't know Christ, you need forgiveness. But I want to mention this. As I spent this whole time first portion of this, this message on the issue of forgiveness because we need to know about that. This is a prayer to believers, not to unbelievers. The disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray. Jesus says, forgive us our sins. This is not an unbeliever's prayer. This is a believer's prayer. Even though it is true that unbelievers need forgiving. They need the forgiveness of God. They can't merit that forgiveness. But in the context of this prayer, just for the moment that we have before we close the service, this is a prayer for you who are saved, who are a member of Calvary Baptist Church. You are in need of forgiveness. In what way, Pastor? Well, this prayer is a prayer of forgiveness in communion and fellowship with God. Every day, we as believers, still forgiven of the penalty of sin, still live in a body of sin. We still live in a world filled with sin. We still live in, in billboards and influences and in the battle of the devil that is constantly roaring at us to try and get us to continue to walk in sin. And there's a lot of the scripture, a lot of the epistles that are teaching us how do we mortify our flesh, how do we live in victory over sin and walk in the newness of life. And this portion of the prayer is a prayer of sanctification, not salvation. Sanctification is that part in us as believers where we are growing more and more like Christ. For the believer, this prayer is a re realization of our daily, continual need of forgiveness. Jesus is not praying this prayer for himself. Jesus never needed forgiveness. But he is giving us a moral model for our prayer life. That we aren't perfect, even though we've been saved, we aren't perfect, we aren't sinless. We need to constantly, every day, Walk in forgiveness for our sins. Psalm 34 and verse 18 said, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as to be of a contrite spirit. This is a spirit of humility before a holy God that we are in constant need of communion and fellowship with God because we still struggle with sin. Not the penalty of sin. If you're a believer, Jesus finally paid that for, uh, for us on the cross. And if you've trusted Christ as your Savior by faith, then you're forgiven of that penalty. 
But on a daily basis, we are in need. Just like we need bread to survive physically, we as believers need the forgiveness of the blood of Christ in our life daily. Let's say, as an illustration, I read this this week, that as a believer, I commit 10 sins each day. I know that may be hard for you to realize in my life, but let's just say I commit 10 sins every day. Um, those 10 sins that I, I, I know that I'm uh, saved, but I say an unkind thing, that's a sin. I'm deceptive. I speed down the road to get to church Sunday morning. Uh, not that I did that, but I could. Maybe I get irritated or I say something I shouldn't say. Or there are sins of omission. You know what sins of omission are? The thing that you know to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. That's the sin of omission. So let's say I don't pray when I should. Let's say I didn't read my Bible this morning like I should. And I let the day go and I don't read. Those are sins of omission. Not that you commit, but that you should do that you don't do. Let's just say every day... I commit 10 sins. That's 3,650 sins per year. That's just 10 a day. Now, our membership at Calvary Baptist Church sits at about 340 in our membership. If every member of Calvary Baptist Church commits 10 sins every day for the whole year, that's 1.24 million sins just in this congregation every year at 10 a day. That's a lot of sin that you and I are going to commit in 2024. Yes, the penalty of that sin has been forgiven if you know Christ as your Savior. But do you see the need of the blood of Jesus Christ over your daily account every day? Can you imagine 3,650 sins that I would commit? And that's far short than what I actually do. And the older I get, the more I realize sin is still present with me. And Paul cries out in Romans 7, O wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of death? Are you frustrated as a Christian over the sins you commit or that you don't commit an omission in your life and every day? Listen, that is the blessing of going before the advocate Jesus Christ and stand as a brother in Christ before the Father on His throne and come in boldly and say, Lord, I blew it this morning. Would you forgive me? I can't live like this. Would you forgive me? Not getting saved again. When, when you say an unkind thing to your spouse to get forgiveness from her, you don't have to walk the aisle again and recommit and get, and, and get married again. But you need to ask that forgiveness. Your relationship has not been broken, but your fellowship and your communion has been broken. And as a child of God, when we lie, when we're deceptive, when we say an unkind word, when we break the law, when as a believer we commit those individual sins throughout the day, we must go to the Lord and confess those sins to Him. And every one of those sins placed Jesus Christ on the cross. Can you imagine 1.24 million sins if we're just using the hypothetical situation of our congregation this year? Can you imagine the weight of sin upon Jesus when He hung on the cross? Trillions and trillions and trillions of sins that were put upon His shoulders. And because He was an infinite God... He was able to carry them. Anybody else would have been crushed. He was bruised for our transgression. He bore our stripes. He took our punishment. And every thought that you think, even as a believer, listen, that's why the Lord established communion for the congregation of the church, because that one point 
1.24 million sins that we need to come as a, as a body of Christ and say, Lord, forgive us our sins. Don't go through your day, believer, without praying this prayer in your heart. God, I need forgiveness today. But as believer, we don't generally say, forgive us of our sin. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's communion. Name the sin, what it is. If you've got to list it out, as the Holy Spirit brings conviction to your heart in your prayer life, by the time, I guarantee you, by the time you get to thy name, thy kingdom, thy will, and you're praying for daily bread, the Holy Spirit has already thrown in ten sins right there that you need to get confession for. Name them and confess them. It's not getting saved again, but it is pleading the blood of Jesus Christ that is continually washing us and cleansing us of our sin. Are you forgiven today? Believer, do you have a pattern in your daily prayer life where you say, I am sorry for and name it? That should be a pattern. And for those of you who recognize your sin and you want to walk closer with the Lord, then you'll realize you have to do that multiple times throughout the day. That's prayer. That's not just at a 15-minute oh, period right after breakfast and just a few minutes before I go to bed. But prayer is a continual pattern all throughout the day. When you say something, the Holy Spirit convicts you that you know you shouldn't have said that. You immediately go to the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me, I shouldn't have done that. And you'll be more aware and I guarantee you when you'll begin to draw nigh to the Lord as he draw nigh, draws nigh to you because you're dealing with, as a believer, you're dealing in your life with sanctification. You're walking closer and closer as you're going farther and farther from the pattern and habits of sin in your life. So this prayer that Jesus prays is not a prayer of salvation, but a prayer of sanctification for believers in communion and fellowship with God. And can I close with this? Our time is already gone. Are you forgiving? There's a whole message. In fact, I've got several notes here on just this, but I think this is, this is important. Are you forgiving today? Jesus says here in this prayer, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. I want you also to see, go over to Matthew chapter 6. I think it would have been important to see this passage. Matthew 6, in verse 11 just to get us um, into the prayer here. Notice what Jesus says in this prayer. He says in verse 11, Give us this day our daily bread, verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Then verse 13 says, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And I appreciate the choir this morning that sang that portion of the Lord's Prayer. Look at verse 14. Jesus ends the Lord's Prayer in Matthew's sermon. And because this issue of forgiveness is so important in the life of the believer, he decides to add two verses at the end of commentary. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. You're going to have to wrestle with that verse a little bit. And remember, we're not talking about salvation. Does that mean if, if I don't forgive someone else, then God is not going to forgive me at the last judgment and I'll end up in hell? N no. He's talking about in, in communion, in fellowship. And I, I believe that forgiven people should be forgiving people. And Jesus seems to teach that if we don't forgive others, chances are that then we, the Lord is going to hold back forgiveness from us. 1 John 4 and verse 20. If a man says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. 
For he that loves not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God in whom he has not seen? One author said this, more Christians than one cares to contemplate are spiritually bereft and barren because they will not make up with someone with whom they have quarreled. Well, let them not delude themselves by singing hymns, performing duties, making vows. It will be of no avail. They will walk this earth unforgiven of the Father until they have put things right. Only then will they have peace of mind. Then in all humility and honesty they can truly say, forgive us as we forgive. This verse may be teaching that forgiveness as believers from the dirtiest part of this world will not be forgiven until you offer forgiveness to the one who has offended you. Jesus gave an illustration in Matthew chapter 5 about leaving our gift at the altar. Going, making restitution with that one who has offended us. Matthew 18, 23, Jesus talks about a parable of a person who was in debt. Had a, had a huge debt over his shoulders and was forgiven. Then he went out and there was a man who had a small debt to him and he would not forgive. Jesus told what a hypocrite. See, we've all sinned. And we've all been sinned against. And when you pray this prayer, you are entering into a covenant contract with God. You are entering into a binding agreement with God. And the agreement is this. As a believer, I agreed to be forgiven in proportion to the way I forgive others. Think about that. God, I will agree to be forgiven based on how I forgive my wife, my parents, my coworker. This is not talking about salvation. This is the talking about daily cleansing. Ephesians 4.32, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. When I make this comment here this morning, forgiveness is a choice, not a feeling. Forgiveness is not overlooking a sin. God never overlooked your sin. He saw Jesus Christ and the weight of sin upon Jesus as his shoulders and his full wrath came upon your sin on Jesus Christ on the cross. He didn't overlook it. What a slap in the face to the Savior who took the full wrath of God. Jesus, what he did for us, this is a good theological word, he propitiated our sin. Paul talks about propitiation. You know what propitiation is? He covered it. He atoned for it. And because of Jesus Christ who bears in his hands, his feet, and his side, the marks of our sin, God says, forgiven. And he chooses as a choice to forgive and to cover. And that's exactly what you must do to that person who's been nasty to you. For that person who has offended you or abused you or hurt you in some way. Have you ever heard about or heard someone complain about you? Has someone in your family irritated you? Did someone cut in line in front of you at the bank? Did a coworker call you a bad name? Did your children eat all the ice cream before you got any? Were you forgotten at Christmas by someone? Is someone butting into your business who has no business doing so? You see, rarely do relationships break for big sins. They often fall apart because little sins that add up and go unforgiven. The story is told by Robert Louis Stevenson, two unmarried sisters who shared a single room. As people are apt to do who live so closely together, they had a falling apart over some point, he says, of controversial divinity. They, in other words, they disagreed over some matter of theology. The issue was so bitter between the two sisters that they never spoke to one another ever again. No words, neither kind nor spiteful, just silence. But because of money or maybe mere pride, neither moved out. 
they continued to live in the same room. They took a piece of chalk, drew a line between the middle of the room, half the door, half the bathroom, half the kitchen, half the bedroom, and neither crossed to the other side. For years they lived this way in hateful silence. Each went to bed at night listening to the other breathing in silence and bitterness. Do you know what that's like? Spouses, do you need to offer forgiveness? Children, are you harboring bitterness towards a parent or a grandparent? Maybe a coworker or a friend, an ex-spouse? a step-parent, a boss, a roommate, a Sunday school teacher, a deacon, a pastor, someone who has offended you, hurt you. I don't demean what they have done. But Jesus says, forgive as you have been forgiven. Song that we sing, Jesus, keep me near the cross. There a precious fountain, free to all a healing stream flows from Calvary's mountain. In the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever, till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the river. It is in the cross of Jesus Christ where he has shed his blood that we find the ability to make the choice I choose to forgive. Father, I pray as we close this morning. Lord, there's so many people who live in bitterness, anger, hatred, like that gentleman that I saw a few weeks ago. My heart broke. Many of us may not act that way outwardly, but some believers on the inside wake up every day angry, critical, bitter. The whole world is against them. Lord, we do live in a very difficult and and terrible world where there is sin. Lord, I pray this morning that believers would find that spirit of forgiveness. If there is something between them and someone else, would they leave the altar and go and seek forgiveness? That doesn't mean the person may ask for it or may even grant it. But in their heart, they, they can't allow that root of bitterness to to continue to fester? Would we be reminded that we are in a constant need of forgiveness? Even as believers, we're not perfect. We offend others daily, many times throughout the day because of our selfishness and our, our, uh, our ability to, to blame others. With heads bowed and eyes closed before we close the service, Maybe the Holy Spirit has convicted your heart. That's what we asked him to do at the beginning of the service. In some area of your life that you need to um, seek forgiveness from the Lord from. And you would say, Pastor, was raising my hand. The Lord has spoke to my heart in some area that, that I need forgiveness for, that I've not gone to him for that. And I need to say, I'm sorry. How many would raise your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? The Holy Spirit spoke to my heart this morning about that need for forgiveness. Thank you. Several others, raise your hand. Join these others. How many would say, Pastor, there's, there's someone I need to offer forgiveness to. I, I, I'm harboring bitterness. I'm harboring a, an offense. And it, it's eating away at me. It could be a relationship, it could be a child, it could be a parent or a grandparent, a co-worker or someone maybe you don't even know. You're angry at the man who cut you off coming to church today. And the Holy Spirit's convicted your heart today and, and, and you need to take some steps to, to seek forgiveness, to offer forgiveness. And you say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I, I need to work on that. And it's got a relationship that I'm harboring bitterness with. How many would raise your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? Several on my right, several on my left. Others, thank you. Please put your hand up and back down. Who in here would say, Pastor, you mentioned at the beginning of the message that salvation is not earned by works, by membership, or putting money in a card, or, or, or in an offering plate, or by signing a card, but it is only in the finished work of Jesus Christ. 
If I died today, I know I would go to hell because I'm not forgiven. And I need to trust Jesus Christ as my Savior. And you say, Pastor, would you pray for me this morning? I need to trust Christ and find final forgiveness of my penalty of sin, which is death. You say, Pastor, would you pray for me? Is there anybody like that here? Just take a few moments here. Anybody like that? Father, you've seen hands and you know hearts. And this topic of forgiveness is, um, we can continue. There's a lot of other passages, but just right here in this prayer for believers, the, the ultimate need of us realizing that even as believers, the, the sins that we commit, that we must continue to, to go to you and seek forgiveness for. And then those who commit sin against us and the need that we have to offer forgiveness and to not harbor that hurt and pain uh, in our life. And uh, no doubt there are people who are, are heavy with, with some deep hurt and abuse and struggles. And uh, Lord, it's not going to be easy, but it is a choice based on the blood of Jesus Christ that they can offer forgiveness. With heads bowed and eyes closed, would you stand, please? I'd like to the ladies to just play before we're dismissed. If you need to come forward to pray up at the altar up here, we'll give you a moment to do that. If you need to pray at your seat as they play, you need to respond. Take an opportunity to pray, communicate with God. I, as a pastor, there's no mediator, human mediator here on this earth that can give you forgiveness or, or that, that can pardon your sins. Only God can do that. But you've got to ask. If you have offended someone or you're holding an offense, maybe you need to take that step and seek forgiveness. Maybe you need to be willing to give um, forgiveness. As she plays through one more time, a time of prayer before we're dismissed, I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in thee my all in all. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the time we can be in your word and in with believers. I pray that you would bless us as we go this afternoon. Keep us safe. And would we constantly throughout the day um, be aware and sensitive to um, the sin that we commit so that we can get them dealt with right away uh, and continue in fellowship and communion with you. In 